Well, this is the last in a series of sermons that we've put together from the epistles, that is the letters in the New Testament. And uh, we've been looking at what it means to prepare for the coming of the King. And so we looked at several different uh, facets of our lives and what they ought to look like. If we are preparing for the King of all the earth, how do we do that? And we we're supposed to be looking, so we've been looking at that during the, the seasons of Advent in preparation for Christmas, and we just ended Christmas tide uh, on Friday, and now we are in the season of Epiphany. And so I alluded to that a moment ago, and uh, we're going to be ending our time of looking at preparing for the coming of the King by looking at this culmination in our identification of who we are in view of the King. That has already come and that indeed will come again. So last week we were going to be looking at uh, what it means to be sons and daughters of the king. And we didn't, we didn't look at that last week. Uh, if you came here and, and the doors were locked, we're sorry. We forgot to put signs up. But we were worshiping with our brothers and sisters at Tabernacle Baptist, which was uh, really enjoyable. And uh, I'll make a comment here. But I was going to preach on Galatians 3, 23 through 4. Seven, And so I would encourage you this afternoon, and this is not just uh, introductory remarks, but to go in your own time to read the Bible and to read about your sonship and daughtership to the king of all creation. That indeed will give you and enliven you to actually prepare for the king instead of cowering in front of the king. So Galatians 3, 23 through chapter 4, verse 7. Imagine me preaching it, if you will, or better, just read it and Reflect on the goodness of God that he doesn't call us slaves anymore, but he calls us sons and daughters. And I will just say this, if you didn't get to worship with us at Tabernacle, uh, one of the things I do love, and I want to encourage you, um, that you can at any point just talk back to me. That was really fun. And I, I, when we did tag team preaching about a year ago, uh, there were several people that were talking back to me in a good way, not in like, you know. Not in any uh, kind of antagonistic way. So if there's at any point in the sermon, I know that we are primarily buttoned up, uh, but it's okay to unbutton at least the top button. And if anything resonates with you, I will say this, it really does help. Anybody that's been up here who preached, it helps to know that you're listening sometimes. Amen. Thank you. Wow. Great. Thanks, thanks. Um, but seriously, because we're going to be looking at a passage that can be pretty contentious. And it doesn't have to be. But because we're human beings who love to be right about something and who latch onto a certain word and we hammer on that word, I said, and you'll see the words coming up here pretty soon, instead of reveling in what Paul himself is reveling in, we look at this, these, these few verses in Ephesians chapter 1 and we're like, I'm right, you're wrong, you better get in line. And it doesn't have to be that way. It was actually this passage itself that, that changed the trajectory of my life in college. And I want to share it with you. It's Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. So if we've considered how we prepare for the king and who we are as his sons and daughters, I think it bears mentioning what our inheritance is if we are sons and daughters of the king who owns all things. What is our inheritance? That's what we're going to be looking at in Ephesians chapter 1. One of the greatest tragedies, I think, for Christians right now 
is to relate to God as though he's merely transcendent and ready to crack the whip if you mess up and to get into line that God is, is on his throne with his arms crossed wondering when you're going to get your stuff together. And we cower and we're fearful and we don't realize that he is a father who has flung his arms wide open and says, everything I have and everything I've purchased for you is yours. Enjoy it. See, holiness is not a piety that's all like frustrated all the time and looking how everybody's gotten out of line. But holiness is actually a beautiful, abundant, joyful Word. It's one of full dedication to someone or something. And so when we speak about holiness at Redeemer, we're not talking about make sure that you don't do that. No, we're talking about how have you relished and enjoyed what God has already given you in Christ Jesus. And we're going to be looking at that in Ephesians chapter 1. And a lot of times as Christians, we oftentimes are like Cinderella, who is scrubbing the floors and then told... Good job, but you missed a spot. When in fact, the story for the Christian, the one who has repented of their sin and put their faith in Jesus, that is what I'm defining as a Christian, someone who calls Jesus their Lord and their Savior, it's more like the end of Cinderella where the prince comes and finds her and says, everything I have is yours. And so instead of eating in the basement hot or cold mush, She's sitting at the table with the king and she's got this smorgasbord of food and says, have at it. What do you want? Enjoy. Nope, you don't have to pay me back. It's all yours. And Christian, if that is you, if you have put your faith in Christ, then he says to you, everything I have is yours. Enjoy. Enjoy. Perhaps this morning you would call yourself a Christian. You would identify yourself as someone who believes in Jesus, but you kind of believe that he's pleased with you. You kind of believe that he just accepts you because he's got this list of requirements or these things that he's supposed to do as God. And so he says, okay, I guess. You repented, you, come on, all right, whatever. Maybe that's your view of God this morning, and the Lord would say to you, listen again. Listen to the lavishness of God's love for you in Christ this morning. That you need to be reminded, Christian, I need to be reminded when I get frustrated with myself that I'm not doing what I ought to do and I'm doing what I ought not to do. How much God loves you. How much access He has given to you as his child. To be holy. As he is holy. And to enjoy it. Enjoy that lifelong pursuit. Of being transformed to the image of Jesus. Who each one of us has seen him as lovely and beautiful. Even as I was praying a moment ago. And we say yeah. And we've forgotten. We've gotten down to scrubbing. And cowering. Instead of enjoying what God has done for us in Jesus. So um, my sermon this morning is a little different. I'm going to try this on for size and see as a, as a pattern interrupt, so to speak. I've got several points in my sermon, but I'm not going to tell you what they are. They all begin with P, so that's a hint. And I'm going to give you a hint, but I'm going to see if you can 
hear what the points of the sermon are. And that's not the first P. The P is not points. It could be. <laughs> I came up with five different points. Uh, but there are a few more. As I was going over my manuscript this morning, I was like, oh, that, that could be another one. But I don't want to overwhelm you with too many P's. All right. So, so it's going to be a little different. I want you to listen up to what the points of this sermon are and see if you can get them in. If you want, you can, you know, raise your hand and say, I got that one. Or, you know, you know, you can come tell me after the service if you aren't the uh, shouting kind. So let me just read Ephesians chapter 1. Verses 3 through 14. Actually, I'm going to read the first uh, couple of verses too. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him... We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. One of the first things I want you to notice is the first word in our passage of blessed. In verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is not the same word that Jesus uses for blessed are the poor in spirit. See, Jesus focuses on the happiness that is counter-cultural to the world. When you suffer for righteousness' sake, you should consider it all joy, right? As James says as well. No, this word that Paul uses for blessed means a good word or where we get the word eulogy from. And it's a good word that can be said about God because of all he has done in the past. That's, after all, when you give a eulogy is reflecting on what this person has done. And therefore, I'm going to recount all of the good things that this person has done before this moment in time. And this is not just a recounting of what God has done in your life. Paul actually reaches all the way back to before you were born. See, God had a plan 
I see some of you writing very good, playing. In doing this, Paul reminds you and me that this life, indeed our lives, my own individual life, is not really about me. God set forth a plan that included you, but was set in motion before you were even a dot on the radar. See, what Paul is trying to get you and me and the church in Ephesus to wrestle with is that you and I, whether we believe it or not, are part of a huge story of God's glory and beauty and majesty as king of the entire creation. He reminds us that this same God that flung stars into the farthest reaches of creation that we can't even get to with our telescopes, that same God that created all of those wonders that we haven't even begun to explore, that that same God is the father of our brother, Jesus. You see it? That blessed be the God and father of our Lord, Jesus Christ, that he is reminding us that the king of all creation is a father. Father to you. That's why I oftentimes pray, Heavenly Father. That's why Jesus encourages us to say, Our Father. It's a reminder of the intimacy and the love of the perfect one, the blessed one, the one who, before you were created, had you in mind. He knew you before the foundations of the earth were set. And we see immediately something very foundational to Paul's understanding of life. Indeed, all of life. He uses this term in Christ. Right? In Christ with every spiritual blessing. He says it several more times that our life is, as he says in another place, hidden in Christ. That if you want to know the purpose of your life, look on Jesus. Look at Jesus. Reflect on Jesus. What is he like? What is his purpose? A lot of times we can wander around, I don't know what I'm here for. Well, if you want to know, look to Jesus. And see, this is what's beautiful about it, is that the Father and Son have this huge cosmic plan of redemption of the entire cosmos because of the fall. But they didn't just do something amazing and astounding and awesome in eternity past. Their conversation, did you, have you considered this? That their conversation in eternity past included your name in that conversation. That they were, what, what are we going to, how, how are we going to set all things right under your lordship? What? You know, as they're talking and as they're considering these things, your name came up. Your part in that story came up. And we see this in verse 4. Look at verse 4 if you don't believe me. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be blameless and holy, holy and blameless before him. So I'm not just pulling it out of thin air. No, Paul himself has this great cosmic story of redemption. He says, even as he chose us in him, that's part of the plan, is to choose you. 
The Father and the Son have reached out to you and to me and they include you in their plans and they pull you in to their divine life. The relationship that they enjoyed in eternity past and they were totally content, they say, we want to open up that relationship with you and envelop you within that so that you can enjoy the beauty and the power of the triune God and the love that we share together. We welcome you into that in Christ so that you can enjoy this divine life. We're not sitting in time and space apart from you. We are actually enveloping you in this love and in this life, welcoming you. Welcoming you into this. The joy of the Christian life is not found, though, in simply being chosen. That would be like being picked for a basketball team, which is part of my story. Being picked for a basketball team and being told to fill the water bottles up. You don't ever get any playing time. That wouldn't be very joyful. That's not what God is doing. He's not just choosing you and saying, yeah, you can be on the team. Go sit over there. See, he has a purpose, a purpose for you. And you can see that in the second half of verse four. What does he say? He says, to be in order to be holy and blameless before him. It's easy to see this word choose or chose or election and get hung up on it as as get her done Americans, isn't it? We hear that. Like, I don't know if I really like that. We have so much quibbles about this word election. But Paul, this is what I think is fascinating about this in these several verses. Paul spends just one verse on this issue. You know why? Because he is in awe of the fact that God has chosen him. And he just kind of subsumes that into this whole story of redemption. It's an easy fact that he says, God chose us in Christ. He doesn't give a long exposition of how this corresponds with our responsibility, which it does. We can't get into that right now. God's sovereignty and human responsibility work together. But he doesn't get into that, does he? He's astounded by the fact, and my question for each of us this morning is, are you astounded by the fact that God, who does not need you, has included you? That the Father and the Son, as they were considering redemption, chose you before the foundation of the world. He said, they don't want him on the team? I'll take him. I'll take her. See, he's astounded that the eternal God thought of us and invited us into the party. God chose you and me before we were even born. Before the world was even born. The analogy of election would be like you choosing the family that you were born into. None of us sat on our mom and dad's shoulder when they were you know, sweethearts in high school or in college or whenever, and said, pick her. I want to get born. We didn't decide when the double helix was being constructed in our mother's womb that, no, no, I want the blue eyes. I want the bald head. <laughs> we, we didn't choose that. But God in His grace says, that's you. You are beautifully and wonderfully made. I didn't get to choose it. 
And you didn't either. And that's what Paul is saying. How astounding is that you are breathing right now. God in his grace says, independent of what you have done, I choose you. I love you because I love you because I love you. And that is the foundation for his choosing of us, is his love. As John says, you and I are able to love because he first, what, loved us. And then as Paul says, in another place, he says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So it's not even a matter of, of God not taking into account what you would do, good or bad, and then say, yes, I will choose you based on your, your choosing me. No. It's actually, while you were still sinning against God, he says, I'll take you. <laughs> I will choose you, even though you are like, I got it on my own, thanks. But what he does is he changes our heart from stone to flesh. He gives us new taste buds to say, wow, honey is really sweet. To really realize that reality, what it is, opens our eyes to it. And I think our sensibilities oftentimes can get chafed by God's choosing us because you and I are, all, are not all that convinced that we're that bad to begin with. And I think a moment of self-reflection even in my own life over the past week, maybe in your life, a moment of self-reflection will yield some very damning results. Or perhaps our self-governments, our, our own autonomy gets frustrated because we are focusing on maintaining our control and ensuring that we aren't robots. More than focusing on the immeasurable power and inheritance that we have been given in Christ. We see this in verse 5. Let's look at verse 5 here. <clears throat> he highlights this choosing us, of us. And he says, in love. Not even, he didn't force. He didn't say, I know you don't want this, but I'm going to make you like it. He says, in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. See, he predestined us. Similar to the issue of election before, Paul quickly moves through this fact of history. He doesn't get hung up on it. He's like, well, no, no, no. Let me slow down and just draw attention to two things about this word predestined. Pre, meaning prior to anything happening. Of what God has done before the earth was even formed. All this happened, whether you had a vote or not. But then the power in destining us. The power that he has done in giving us New eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to love and genuinely choose him. This is not like in high school where you were destined for greatness. I remember there was a uh, there was a uh, somebody ran for our student council and they had on their banners destined for greatness and they lost. That's not what this is talking about. This is like you're going to do great things. No, 
This is the God of all of the universe has destined you. God's predestining us is a fact settled in a golden chain. As Paul says in another place, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to a glorious inheritance. You can look at that in Romans 8, 28 through 30. There is power, power for our own Christian lives that comes in God's predestiny. See, this glory, glorious inheritance he'll mention in just a few verses serves to highlight the abundance for which God operates. He's not stingy. And we oftentimes attribute stinginess to God. He doesn't hold back. He is overflowingly generous with what he wants to do in the world and in your life. And many Christians have forgotten that God works from an abundance mindset as opposed to a scarcity mindset. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. But note the all-encompassing language. So if you, if you took your homework with Galatians, here's some more homework. Go through this passage and note all the, the big words he uses. He says all, every. Just underline them and see how liberal he is with his grace, with his love, with his joy. He is a never-extinguishing fountain from which all blessings Flow, And that's why we sing the doxology at the end. One of the reasons. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. As we sing that, and then what do we do immediately after that? We go out into the world. That is where the power comes from, is that we understand that everything we have is a gift. The power, the need, the, the, the desire to want to go out comes from God from whom all blessings flow. But there's a minor note here. And I would be remiss not to mention it. See, the world would like to believe that God loves us the way that we are. And there, there's, there's a bit of truth to that, but it's not the entire truth, is it? God does love you as his creature. But to have a true and verifiable relationship with God, we have to be purchased. We see that in verse 7. We need to be purchased he said, let's read it together. In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. See, redemption is not just a purchasing out of prison with an exorbitant amount of money. It required a death payment. We would like to relegate our sins to mistakes we make or to issues that we're working through. Or that we didn't need to do something. I didn't, I didn't intend that. Well, maybe you probably did. And a lot of times we just kind of think we can sweep it under the rug and it's not all that bad. Our, our impatience, our anger, our fear, our anxiety, all these things. Well, those are just things I'm dealing with. Maybe not. You need to leave open the possibility that those are very real things that you need to press into. The Bible is very clear that we know what we ought to do, but we enjoy doing the opposite. We love the feeling of doing what we ought not to do. Otherwise, it wouldn't be so hard, would it? Not sinning would be really easy if it weren't so pleasurable. Pleasurable. 
But again, God is not stingy with his forgiveness. Seventy times seven that Jesus told to, to Peter, that's the starting place of God's mercy. Whereas it seems impossible for us to forgive that many times, let alone two or three times. God makes it impossible. And then some. Look at the end of verse 7. He says, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. And this word lavished, I thought was a fascinating word. I was like, well, what, is, what does this particular word mean? It's, it's a mashup of two words. And one word simply means to fill up, to fill this cup up, right? But then it goes on and says, this other word, epi, which means on top of. So God takes his lavish riches of grace and he says, it's a full cup. I'm going to keep pouring it until it overflows. And it's going to continue to overflow in your life. See, God is liberal with his grace toward you, friend. And this has always been a part of his purpose and his plan. His predestining you. The power, the purchasing, all of this. Look at verses 9 and 10. He says, uh, which he lavished upon us, verse 8, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. See, that plan is to bring all things under the kingship of Jesus. That is the great story, the narrative the great plan of redemption from which they were scheming from before the foundation of the world. Again, we see in him in verse 11, in Christ, in Christ we have all these riches. And this purpose and plan is repeated three times. What is this purpose and plan? To the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory. You see it in verse 6, verse 12, and verse 14. He mentions it again and again and again that your life is not about you, but it is about another. And your life is hid in him to the praise of his glorious grace. So how do we live to the praise of his glory? It's a very ephemeral type idea, isn't it? Well, we do two things. And this is where we'll close. We listen and we love. If you're looking for application points, those are them. We listen and we love. And this is where I'm getting in. Look at verse, verse uh, uh, well, let's go. It's in verse 13, but let me just read 11 first. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. You and I are called to come to this place week after week after week because we forget week after week after week of our purpose in God's plan so that your life would be to his praise of his grace to love you and to care for you. You and I are called to tell one another about his redemption in your own life instead of pretending like you've got your stuff together to say, man, God has been really good to me this week. 
And to look for it. To look up for, for God's grace in your life every week. Because it's there. It's there. So we listen to one another. We listen to God's word week after week. But then we love. And we love not just this idea. But we love a person. By the power of a person. Verse 13, sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You remember when Jesus ascended? He told his disciples, wait here in Jerusalem until what? Until the power of the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Throughout the book of Acts, we see the Holy Spirit continuing to overwhelm, to lavish on them his abundant grace. And the point is this, that the Holy Spirit has historically been identified as the love between the Father and the Son. And that love is so powerful and amazing, he's identified as the Spirit. And this love between the Father and the Son, Christian, is freely shared with you. He has been given to you and me, not only as a seal of our inheritance in the future, but right now, that all things are yours, right? Paul says that in another place. He says, why are you all quibbling about who you follow? I follow Paul, I follow Cephas, I follow Apollos. He says, all things are yours. Stop worrying about that loaf of bread. When you've got a feast in front of you. And we know that we are in a right relationship with God. When we are convicted of sin by that same person. And instead of hiding it, we confess it. So that we can continue a vibrant relationship with God. And if we don't confess our sin, we cannot know God. We can't experience this immeasurable love that he has for us. If we are hell-bent on thinking that I'm right and everybody else is wrong then we don't get to enjoy all of this that God has for us. The person, this praise of His glorious grace, this purpose, this predestining, this plan from eternity past, that we are just spectators. But when we confess our sins, when we draw near to Him, He welcomes us into that divine life and He says, let's eat together. Let's talk. Let's have a deep, abiding, loving relationship together. And that's what he calls you into this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you have not just adopted us, but in adopting us, you have given us an inheritance. Indeed, a very lavish inheritance of grace. Indeed, you have given us yourself through your Spirit as a seal, as a guarantee that cannot be taken away from those who have put their faith in Jesus. We pray that we would no longer be cowering, but instead that we would be wrapped up into your love for us because we have been forgiven much and you have purchased us and you welcome us as sons and daughters and have indeed not just given us an inheritance to be enjoyed in the life to come, which is true. 
but even now to enjoy this divine life that you offer to each of us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.